Welcome to this conversation. I'm your host, Teresa Keller, and my guest today is Ben Beeks of the Metallurgical Coal Producer Association. We're in an area that has been economically driven by coal for a long, long time, and we're just going to kind of catch up on the overall situation. Welcome, Ben Beeks, to this conversation. Well, thank you so much for having me. It's a pleasure to, to join you and uh, talk a little bit about coal and the changing nature of our industry. Well, we know that the industry is changing. You're president, as we said, of Metallurgical Coal Producers Association. So let's start with what is metallurgical coal and how is it different from any other kind of coal? Well, metallurgical coal, or as we call it, met coal, uh, met coal makes steel. And so for many, many years uh, in the Appalachian region, we've obviously uh, become accustomed to uh, learning about coal and hearing about coal through the lens of uh, thermal coal, which is used to produce electricity. But um, there is another type of coal, and um, we, the, the members of the Metallurgical Coal Producers Association, um, almost solely produce uh, met coal, which is used for steel making. So as we think about met coal, and we think about our daily lives uh, in the met coal lens, your automobile, your bridges, your stainless steel appliances, those daily um, uh, uses of, of things that you're using every single day, we don't, we don't typically assume um, and think about coal when we think about those things, um, but uh, met coal makes steel. And that's really important for um, Southwest Virginia region, the Central Appalachian region to understand the impacts that we have on our everyday products uh, in our economy. I'm sure you're exactly right that most of us think of the power and the light, air conditioning and heat when we think of coal. But then the word has been spreading that met coal is a whole different beast. But in the coal fields, the coal areas, coal mines, is it in the same mine that you find two kinds of coal or do you have to go to different locations? What's the difference in how you find it and mine it? Sure. Well, most of the met coal that is produced in our country is found in the central Appalachian region, um, as well as the southern Appalachian region. There's, there's a big uh, metallurgical coal basin in the um, Alabama area. Um, so, uh, yes, we're, we're generally in the same area. Um, there are different uh, seams of coal that have different types of coal. And um, but predominantly uh, here in, in southern West Virginia, in southwest Virginia, um, many of the seams uh, that we're mining today, which are in the same general areas, just different seams of coal, are all predominantly um, populated with metallurgical coal. Um, so um, really, it comes down to just the quality, the qualities that are in uh, the coal. Thermal coal has a very high moisture content. So when you think about using thermal coal to produce electricity, really what the driving force is producing steam. So the high moisture contact content for thermal coal uh, makes it um, uh, a valuable resource to produce electricity. But metallurgical coal has very low ash, low moisture content, um, and a low sulfur content. And it is, uh, has a much higher heat ratio than the thermal coal. That's why the qualities of metallurgical coal are used um, to produce about 70% of the steel in the world today. Let's get back to the steel. But uh, first of all, when you say thermal ratio, you mean that met coal burns a whole lot hotter. Is that right? 
You got it. Uh, okay. Met coal's hotter and thermal coal is not as hot. So, and just to clarify, because I'm out of my league here uh, and over my head, but you said different seams of coal have different sure. qualities. Again, I'm still confused. Do you go into the same mine and find different seams or do you have different mines for the different kinds of coal? When you think of seams, uh, think about just uh, where in the geography um, uh, there, uh, the geology, excuse me, um, that seam of coal may be. And, and there are many dozens of, of seams of coal that um, um, are categorized um, but it's not the same mines as a thermal mine, for instance. When we used to mine coal for thermal, there might have been a specific seam of coal um, that is uh, used for that. For instance, think of um, up in the northern part of you know, West Virginia um, and the Pittsburgh area. They're, they call it the Pittsburgh seam. And back in the heyday of, of thermal coal production, that was a big seam of coal that was thermal coal products. Um, that's a lot of that has been mined out, although there are several thermal coal mines that are operating in that scene. But there are dozens of other seams. Um, and ultimately, here's how we find out where the met coal is. And that's by um, drilling core holes and testing the, the, the coal and what qualities they have. The geography, meaning where we are, is very similar places but how far down we go or um, um, how far up we are closer to the land, you know, just depends on the, the qualities of that metallurgical coal. So that, that's what I mean by um, the seams of coal. And your goal in the Metallurgical Coal Producer Association, I'm assuming, is primarily to just to promote the use of met coal to, to make sure people understand what it's for. You are a nonprofit, is that correct? Yeah, you know, we're a trade association, um, so we we are not profit, but not not a charitable organization. Um, we um, are a membership organization where the um, producers, the met coal producers, who uh, pay membership dues into our association, um, and they are the governing board of our association as well. Yeah, you, you, you basically said it. What's the mission? Um, it simply put, we want to spread the word that met coal makes steel. And why do we want to do that? Well, one of the reasons why we are so um, uh, adamant about spreading that message is because many of the coal producers, our members, have um, gotten away from uh, mining thermal coal. The state of Virginia is, is a really interesting story. I mean, you know, just... 20, 30 years ago, the, you know, the majority of the coal that was mined in that state was thermal coal. Today, um, of the about 12 million tons of coal that's mined in the uh, Commonwealth, um, over 90% of that is metallurgical coal. So there's been a shift in the priorities even of uh, the Commonwealth of Virginia, um, what we see as far as the priorities concerned. So we want to make sure people know that there is a future for coal uh, because um, we, uh, our country, for instance, is on a path to reinvigorate our infrastructure here in, in the in this, uh, United States. Well, you can't have infrastructure without steel and you can't make steel without met coal. That's why it's such an important topic for us to be discussing uh, today as we look at the future of coal. Well, we agree that it's an important topic. That's why my guest today is Ben Beeks, who is with the Metallurgical Coal Producer Association as president and works with government affairs in West Virginia. And the future of coal, we all agree, is important and certainly important for us to know here in Southwest Virginia. When you mentioned Pittsburgh and 
the seam that they had that was thermal coal. And you said, but it's pretty much mined out. I think that's the question we need to look at now because coal is in decline in terms of how much is there. Let me just start with that question on this area. How sure. much coal is there left in general and how much is met coal? Sure. Well, we are sitting on here in central Appalachia, the uh, largest reserves of metallurgical coal um, uh, here in the country. So uh, we have um, uh, many years left of reserves in, in metallurgical coal. Um, the better way to really look at this isn't really the reserve base, but it's the demand side of the equation. Um, because there, there will be coal left for hundreds of years to, to be able to be mined and used, but it's, it's the demand for the product. And so 10 years ago, generally speaking, there was about a billion tons of coal mined in the United States. And uh, today there's a little less than half a billion tons of coal mined in the United States. That reduction is all thermal coal. And why is that? That's because, um, you know, through regulation and through market pressures, um, coal-fired power plants have been retired, units have been retired, and there are no really new coal-fired power plants being built. And so the demand for the thermal coal has significantly decreased. However, um, as we see the world coming, recovering from COVID um, and economy starting to grow again, um, and an infrastructure package that's been passed here in the United States and a gear up for that, uh, we see the demand for metallurgical coal uh, increasing. And um, that's why these producers, our members, have shifted and want to make sure that the public understands the opportunity they have. You know, that really is astounding to me that 90% of the reduction in the tonnage that's mined is in thermal coal. That's correct. It's, um, um, you know, it's a staggering statistic. And look, we, we wish it was still a billion tons. Uh, we support our friends in the thermal uh, business. Uh, we feel that the coal industry as a whole, some of the highest paying uh, jobs um, in, in our economy, for sure, and the, the impact it has on our communities uh, positively um, is, is beneficial. But the, the real story is that the demand for thermal coal has significantly decreased um, and that is the, the picture that we see today. Part of my understanding about the reason there's not so much coal mine, part of the reason is that there's not as much left and what's left is deeper and harder to get and more expensive to get. You can tell me whether or not that's true. And also, what is the situation in that regard for net yes, coal? Yes, ma'am. So a lot of the reserves that we have, although abundant, are harder to get to. Um, so when we say a seam of coal, if you're driving down the interstate and you're driving through a portion where, you know, part of the mountain has been uh, cut uh, to, to let the road pass through and you see this dark seam that might be running through that. Well, that's typical. That typically is a coal seam. So when we say the thickness of the seam, we're literally measuring the height of how far that seam goes. And so, you know, we used to have, when I'm, I invoked the Pittsburgh scene, for instance, uh, back in the heyday of coal, you could have eight to 10 foot seams of coal. Well, when you have that big of a seam, um, your costs are very low because there's a lot of coal and you're able to have higher ceilings and things of that nature. Metallurgical coal, a lot of the metallurgical coal that we're mining today 
are found in 30 to 40 inches, for instance, seams of coal, sometimes as small as 25 inches uh, seams of coal. So imagine the, the work that uh, has to be placed in either cutting out rock above the seam of coal, which obviously costs money, it takes time. Um, and when you're dealing with lower or thinner seams of coal, costs uh, do go up, it's harder to get to. However, they're still highly in demand and uh, in good market conditions, um, you know, we're able to, um, um, you know, uh, put our folks to work to make sure that we're meeting that demand. You say that it's still worth it. You're saying that it's still profitable despite whatever expense you've got. But when you're describing 30 to 40 inch seams of coal, I'm thinking, is that being extracted with machines or people? Because people can't get into 30 inches. Both. Um, what a lot of people don't realize of the coal industry is how highly technical and how, te how technically trained our coal miners are today. Um, there are a few ways to extract coal today. Um, there are surface mines uh, for very thin seams of coal that are closer to the surface. Um, underground mines, obviously, um, most of what is mined in southwest Virginia is done by what's called room and pillar or a continuous mining method. And that is operated by coal miners um, and, um, you know, belted out of the, the coal mine. Um, so if you imagine what has to happen, you know, there, we're going to have to cut uh, rock that's above the coal seam in order there, for there to be enough clearance for our, our men and women to be able to work. And that's what drives the cost up. So when you say continuous mining, I have a vision that I don't know if it's accurate or not, but I see coal miners down there, but that there's some kind of machine that drills in and pulls the coal back. You, you actually probably described it as best as, as, as anybody. It is a machine that is uh, very low to the ground and it has uh, teeth on the end of it um, that um, goes into uh, the coal seam and it, it uh, chews the coal out of the, uh, um, um, out of the face of the, uh, the coal mine and then it is um, pulled back um, and ultimately placed on a conveyor belt and that's what is taken out of the coal mine and uh, eventually taken to um, uh, where it's going to market. So when we're talking about people working underground, it's not a question of people going in with uh, picks and axes and no, digging out the coal that way. They're technical people down there operating sophisticated equipment. That is correct. Highly trained, um, um, very um, safety uh, sensitive. I mean, we now have machines that have motion detectors and proximity detectors. Um, we have ventilation plans that are state of the art. Um, so the coal mine today is very technical um, and uh, our workforce has to be highly trained and continually to be trained um, so that they are keeping up on the uh, technology today. But still, there are people way down deep in those mines and how do they breathe air that doesn't damage their lungs, or is that still an issue? Yes, ma'am. So, you know, uh, the, the, the way that we put together, one, uh, a lot of people don't realize when you, if you were to ever go to a coal mine, you would see that the walls are white. And a lot of folks would question, why are the walls of an underground coal mine white? Well, that's because to keep the, um, um, uh, you know, the explosive matter, um, um, you know, down, uh, the, the risk for 
um, fire and things of that nature, um, we spread rock dust and that's required by federal law. Um, and so rock dust is obviously white. Um, but what we do is we have very sophisticated, uh, approved by the federal government, inspected on a daily basis by both state and federal regulators, ventilation plans where we are pumping fresh air into the mine and pulling uh, air out of the mine so that there's a continuous circulation of fresh air uh, into the coal mine. Uh, so um, the, 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 the working conditions obviously have been significantly increased um, over the past several decades uh, in the industry. And uh, we are operating in some of the safest environments that this industry has operated in, in many, many uh, decades. Um, so uh, that's what uh, keeps the fresh air coming. And again, these are not systems that are just set up and left. Um, they're constantly changing. Uh, and adjusting to the progress of the mine and inspected by both our employees and the federal and state government on a daily basis. So it's a constant uh, improval process. So are you saying that black lung would not be a concern anymore in the for people who are working way down deep in those mines? Yeah, obviously we, we know, and there are, um, there's a federal program that is set up that the coal industry pays into every year um, to uh, deal with some of the workers who uh, come down with uh, complicated or um, uh, pneumoconiosis, occupational pneumoconiosis. And um, uh, so there certainly is a risk to every um, uh, industry, and uh, that is one that obviously uh, some uh, coal miners are exposed to, and um, that's why you know, obviously we're paying into uh, the federal program to compensate workers who uh, may come down and are diagnosed with um, uh, what was called black lung or occupational pneumoconiosis. My understanding is that that fee or tax that coal operators pay that goes into the federal program for black lung benefits has uh, been under attack. There are some people who would like to eliminate that tax, which would mean lessening the, the protection or the, the uh, health benefits for people who come down with black lung. What can you tell us about that? Yes, ma'am. So there's there's a lot of discussion, um, and there have been for many years on Capitol Hill regarding and Washington D.C. regarding the uh, the, the Black Lung uh, Program, um, and uh, we continue to pay into the coal industry continues to pay into that program. I, I have not heard any of our members call for the elimination of that uh, by any means. It's not something that we've ever talked about as a priority for our association. The priority that we have that our um, uh, members have is we wanna make sure that the program is fair and efficient so that the, the coal miners who are diagnosed with black lung receive the benefits that they rightfully deserve. Um, and so some of the proposals um, in years past, um, you know, may have taken away some of the protections of that program, concerns of bankrupting the program and things of that nature. And so uh, we just want to make sure that the health of that program remains so that the miners who do uh, are diagnosed with that get the benefits that they so rightfully deserve. My guest is Ben Beeks of the Metallurgical Coal Producer Association talking about the benefits of met coal, the abundance of met coal in our area and elsewhere in the coal fields and its uh, imperative need as far as producing steel is concerned. Ben, let's take uh, just a little divergence here and talk about how you came to your position, your background, and how you were 
incorporated into the world of coal business? Yeah, so I'm born and raised in West Virginia, and obviously, like um, Southwest Virginia, uh, you know, coal is is part of the fabric of our state. Um, so uh, we've always, um, in fact, I live just a couple miles away from John Amos Power Plant, uh, which is a coal-fired power plant. Um, and so coal has obviously been a part of, um, you know, our daily lives here in West Virginia and exposed to that. But um, <clears throat> my path is more of a, um, a political one in a sense that um, I worked in politics and ultimately uh, worked for uh, what was then called Alpha Natural Resources, which is now Alpha Metallurgical Resources. And I did external affairs work with Alpha uh, in the state of West Virginia, uh, community relations, government affairs, and those types of things. Uh, what led me to this position was um, when, when the coal producers, the, the inaugural members of the Metallurgical Coal Producers Association, we're thinking about putting together a new association to focus solely on metallurgical coal. They approached me to uh, see if I you know, would be interested in helping lead uh, and spearhead that change. And, and that's how I ended up where I am. But um, I have over a decade of government affairs experience and I've been working in the coal industry since 2015, 2014, excuse me, um, on, a, on a regulatory side and a government affairs side. So um, it's been a pleasure of my life to be able to work with some of the hardest uh, men and women uh, who uh, love their jobs, love what they do, take great pride in what they're doing, and they see the benefits that they provide to their communities and to our country as a whole. So uh, I think the, we have some of the finest people in America working in the coal industry. Well, if anybody questions the work ethic of coal miners, you know, that's just shows that they don't have a clue what they do. And it's unfortunate that in some of the controversies that, that surround the questions about the use of coal, that people may forget just what you said about these people who work hard and that we build on their backs and their smarts and their efforts. This program originates at Emory and Henry College, so I'm just curious about your educational background. Yes, ma'am. I went to uh, the University of Charleston in Charleston, West Virginia. We, uh, I grew up in, or in and around Charleston, West Virginia, and uh, uh, went to the University of Charleston and graduated in 2002 and um, then started my career. So um, I uh, still reside here in Charleston, and, uh, but get the opportunity to come to Southwest Virginia more than I, I did uh, in the past uh, since I've uh, started my role as president of the Metallurgical Coal Producers Association. Well, take you home country roads, but I'm sorry, we're still at the center of the universe right over here. Yes, ma'am. Anyway, do you have in the metallurgical coal industry the same questions about reclamation and those kind of government requirements for what you do when you're finished taking it out the coal? Yes, ma'am. And actually, this hits on this hits on a, a, another kind of topic that um, another reason why we started the Met Coal Producers Association. But yes. All the reclamation that we do, the environmental work that we do, um, which is done, by the way, not just when we're done with uh, mining coal. It's a continuous process. As we're mining, we are reclaiming, we're treating water and doing things. And many occasions, uh, the conditions that we're leaving our, uh, the coal mine site are better than the way we found them. Um, you know, there's, there's other um, you know, uh, reasons and uses for coal mine, post-use post coal mine. Uh, I know that there are uh, several projects in uh, Southwest Virginia that um, there are even solar projects 
wind projects coming to areas where there used to be a coal mine that have been reclaimed. There are wildlife management areas. Um, I know here in West Virginia, we have um, a correctional facility. Uh, we have um, shopping malls. Uh, there are so many uses of uh, former um, coal mine sites. And so, yes, we still have the same regulations. But it, this is the key point. When regulators in Washington, D.C. have their agenda to do away with coal, to enact the war on coal, they are thinking about what they can do to get rid of coal-fired power plants. Yet when they stroke their pen on regulations, those regulations affect metallurgical coal producers just the same as thermal coal producers. And we are trying to educate lawmakers that there are two different types. And you would be amazed at the number of lawmakers, especially on Capitol Hill, that don't realize that met coal makes steel and only think that there's one type of coal. So, well, there's your job. But uh, you mentioned solar and wind, and you seem very open to that. You also use the term war on coal, which is mm -hmm. very political, Ben. Yes, ma'am. And a lot of people would say, if you're thinking in a bigger picture, it's not a war on coal. It's a war to protect the climate and climate change. What do you say when people ask you about climate change and the fact that burning coal really does harm our planet ultimately? Yeah, I mean, so the response to that is when you build uh, wind farms or solar farms, guess what you have to have to make those? Steel. And so what makes steel? Met coal makes steel. Uh, so, um, you know, we know that there are there's a transition in the power generation um, economy. Uh, we understand that we are not power generators. We uh, supply a product that produces steel. So to the fact to the, uh, uh, you know, point that uh, do we play a role, anything that makes steel or uses steel, obviously we're playing a role in that. Um, but when it comes to the words war on coal, it goes back to my original point. When regulators who offer regulations that are outside the scope of their authority, statutory authority, specifically aimed at eliminating the coal industry, that affects metallurgical coal producers just the same as thermal coal uh, operators. So we just had a case in the Supreme Court, West Virginia versus the EPA, and the Supreme Court upheld, uh, sided with the state of West Virginia and many other states, by the way, who say, look, EPA, you can't create law. You have to let Congress create law and then you regulate and you overstepped your boundaries uh, when it came to the clean power plan and things of that nature. So that's why when we say when there's a concerted effort to eliminate coal, it is done with a broad brush and affects metallurgical coal producers exactly like it does the thermal coal producers. And we're saying, look, you have to understand there's two different you know, uses for this coal and you cannot treat all the same. You know, I guess my response to that, and if people have been listening, is that you make a beautiful case about the necessity of coal, but also there is a necessity for regulation. I think it's a question of intent, and it seems like this is a case of two sides, both having good intentions. They're just somewhat in conflict. Very quickly, how clean can coal be? 
Is there a way to be more protective of the environment? Well, yes. I mean, I, th- I think first, when, when you start looking at our reclamation efforts, just on that side, and I know that's not really what your question is, but just to state on that, um, the, the value of our reclamation efforts, we are very proud of that. Um, we are not bashful over the fact that we have strong reclamation programs where you have some of the most beautiful wildlife areas that our country has on post use coal mines. So we're very proud of our environmental record when it comes to that. When it comes to how clean coal can be, uh, we're seeing carbon capture technology starting to come to market. It's in Houston right now. Um, So we believe that there's technologies that will make clean, even coal, uh, coal even cleaner. Um, So, um, you know, we're excited to see what those technologies may bring. Well, I think we can certainly agree on that. And it's been a pleasure to talk with you, Ben Beeks. I'm sorry to rush out of this conversation, but our time is up. Ben Beeks of the Metallurgical Coal Producers Association, my guest today on this conversation. You can hear this program Wednesdays at 6 and Sundays at 2. You can go to wehcfm.com and look for archives. Thank you again, Ben Beeks, and we'll see you next time. Thank you.